This is Africa Digest. It is 1700 hours Central African time. Hello, welcome to Africa Digest on Channel Africa, the African perspective. We are coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. You can find us on 9625 kHz. That is on the 31 meter band if you're in Southern Africa. You can also find us on 802 on the DSTV audio bouquet. My name is Spumele Lezundi and I am with Onelin Zinzi and Amanda Machaka. Your top stories. Zambian opposition leader reportedly jailed under inhumane conditions. South Africa's official opposition partly battles internal strife. In economics, Tanzania's central bank announced new rules to force banks to hold more capital to withstand financial shocks. In sports, Bafana Bafana battles Zambia tonight in a friendly match. Here's Onelinzinzi. Thank you, Spoo. An unknown number of people are missing following the collapse of a seven-story building in Nairobi on Monday night. Authorities say at least 128 people were safely evacuated from the building before it caved. Rescue efforts are underway at the scene of the incident as desperate relatives wait for word on their loved ones. The building is said to have been up without proper approvals and was earmarked for demolition by Nairobi city authorities. Sarah Kimani has more. In Nairobi's embassy area, military officers undertake a delicate rescue effort. Delicate because several people are still unaccounted for after a seven-story building caved in on Monday night. From a distance, desperate relatives follow every move. Twelve hours since the building caved in, they're still hoping that out of the rubble, their loved ones will be pulled out alive. Some too distraught to speak. Armed groups have reportedly been forcibly recruiting staff working in South Sudan's health centers and schools. The United Nations says this is causing facilities to close as it struggles to provide aid in one of the world's most dangerous war zones. More than 258 workers have been relocated because of fighting this year. It is almost double the number during the same period in 2016. Civil war in South Sudan erupted in 2013. The Intergovernmental Authority for Development, IGAD, is on its second day holding a summit to discuss the situation in South Sudan. Heads of state and governments from the seven countries of which South Sudan is a member converged in Ethiopia's capital Addis Ababa on Monday to re-energize the region's support to help South Sudan gain peace. South Sudan has suffered from internal conflict since 2013. Koleta Wanjohe reports from Addis Ababa. The regional summit on South Sudan was attended by President Yoweri Museveni of Uganda, President Omar el-Bashir of Sudan, and Haile Mariam de Salen, the Prime Minister of Ethiopia, among other government representatives from the countries of the region. At the meeting, South Sudan was represented by Vice President Taban Dengai, who said that they were aware that some parties were pushing for a renegotiation of the current peace agreement. He said this would not help South Sudan, but instead... It would be better that more effort be put to make the current one signed in August 2016 work. Angola's ruling party has bowed to public criticism of a proposed law banning all abortions. It has instead accepted a revised bill allowing terminations in cases of rape or maternal health risks. 
The about turn follows a rare rally on in March when roughly 200 demonstrators protested against the proposed bill under heavy police surveillance in the capital, Luanda. The initial draft panel code brought before Parliament in February would have punished anyone who had an abortion or performed one with up to 10 years in jail, with exception in cases of rape or risk to the mother's health. The draft code was strengthened after lobbying by church leaders led to the removal of the limited exemptions, triggering a fierce public debate. And lastly, the endorsement of an action plan on albinism in sub-Saharan Africa is giving renewed hope to people born with the condition. Speaking ahead of International Albino Awareness Day observed this Tuesday, UN human rights expert Iponwosa Ero says though people with the condition have suffered discrimination and exclusion, the new action plan will see such cases go down tremendously. Channel. The National Action Plan is 15 concrete measures that um, are very practical, and we got them from the recommendations that have been made from various UN and AU bodies and other international bodies, and we condensed those rather lofty recommendations in most cases into concrete practical things, such as provide um, iron bars and on the windows and doors of people with albinism in the rural areas where these attacks tend to happen. And one I should also add is in the regional action plan, it's legal reform, particularly in the area of trafficking in body parts. Right now, trafficking laws protect against trafficking in persons, but body parts are not covered in a sense. So we need legal reform to cover that gap. Channel African News, I'm Seventeen oh six Central African time. Thank you very much, Onele, for that update. Now, Zambia's opposition leader, Hakainde Chilema, who is facing treason charges, has been moved from a prison in the capital, Lusaka, to a maximum security jail in the small town of Okwabe. Hichilema was arrested in April for allegedly failing to give way to President Edgar Lungu's motorcade. His wife, Mutinda Hichilema, says he is being kept under inhumane conditions. She spoke to Channel Africa's Ntlantla we have been so sad as a family. We've been so traumatized. From the time he was picked on that fateful night, I'm sure you are aware, when the police just came without any search warrant to come and ambush us in that house, destroyed our property, traumatized the family, we were tear gas the whole night. They came, their intention that night was to kill my husband. I'm sure you're aware of that. So it hasn't been easy for us as a family. We are really traumatized. We are living in fear. We don't know. We are so scared. We don't know the life of my husband. We are not safe. We are so scared of his life at the moment. Because the the way they are treating him is inhuman. It's really inhuman. They took him to um, Lusaka, a central prison in Lusaka. Uh, I think he aware that about four days ago, he was bundled out of Lusaka, taken to a maximum prison in Kabwe, in another town out of Lusaka, despite having a court order that he should be kept in Lusaka. But he was forcibly bundled into a van, taken to a city uh, airport where he was put in a helicopter 
and taken into that maximum prison without being noticed as a wife. The lawyers were not aware of his movement. The family members were not aware. We are so scared because they had, you know, having the experience of that night when they came to take him from our house. We are so scared his whereabouts. Until later, during the day, when we were told that he has been taken to a maximum prison in Kabwe, out of Lusaka, a town out of Lusaka. And the conditions there are so bad. They are treating my husband as if he has been convicted already. They've put him in a cell, in a tiny little cell. There's no toilet. There's no water. He's using a bucket to anchor the core of nature. In this day and era, can you imagine using a bucket in that tiny room, which is not even covered, the whole day is sitting in that fecal matter, and there's no water. He has to fetch water from a distance. If you want to bath, there's no privacy. He is bathing there, and people are passing through that room, which has got no door, no curtain. People are watching him while he's bathing. My husband has been demonized, has been tortured. It's horrible. I don't really understand where this country is going. That is abuse of human rights. Now, madam, are you saying that there was no reason whatsoever given by authorities to move Mr. H.H. to this uh, maximum security? Nothing, madam. There was nothing. There was a court order. That court order to tell him that Mr. Hichilema should be in Lusaka. There was a court order. But the state just overruled that court order without any notification, no excuse, no explanation at all. Even up to date, we don't know what is going on. It just overruled the court order. So there's break, there's breakdown of rule and law in this country. So when is his next court appearance? Do we know at this stage? And are you hopeful that, you know, these charges that he's facing will ever be dropped? Not at all. The whole idea, this thing is all predetermined. They want to keep my husband longer in incarceration. They want to keep him out of politics and eventually eliminate him. These people are so determined. Because they keep on postponing, they keep on adjourning, they keep on adjourning. This is now two months and some weeks. They haven't yet set a date for him yet. Because that's what they're saying. The ruling party officials are saying that we are going to keep Akainde, they are going to keep HH in incarceration for over two years or three years, so that they keep him out of politics. That's the whole aim and then eventually eliminate him. So when last did you actually see him, and how was his well-being then? I'm just coming from there this morning to take breakfast. Um, my husband is a, tr- is a very strong person. He's got a fighting spirit, because he's fighting for democracy in this country. He's, fight- he's fighting for democracy, he's fighting for justice, until justice prevails in this country they will not achieve their goal. He wants to achieve that goal of fighting for democracy and justice in this country. They may try to cage him, but his spirit will live on to fight for the justice in this country.
Motinda Hichilema is the wife of Zambia's opposition leader, Hakainde Hichilema, speaking to Channel Africa's Ntlantla Mahlangu. Now, South Africa's ruling party, the African National Congress, says there was nothing remorseful about the apology that Western Cape's Premier Helen Zilla made at a press briefing in Johannesburg. Zilla, who is the former leader of the main opposition party, the Democratic Alliance, has apologized. She apologized unreservedly for her controversial posts on social media about colonialism. She was suspended following the tweets that raised eyebrows on the Democratic Alliance's view on colonialism and a non-racial society. She has agreed to vacate her position on all DA decision-making structures, but will remain as the Western Cape Premier. More from spokesperson of the ANC, Zizi Kotoa. What this confirms is that she still remains a real leader of the Democratic Alliance. My man is a caretaker and funders decide of what position or no position to take by the Democratic Alliance. We now know that funders have threatened to pull out if Helen Villa is fired, let alone the fact that the traditional base of Democratic Alliance, which is conservative white in the Western Cape, had approached her to establish or to form her own party. So what this means is that the Democratic Alliance still remains the party that is founded on the basis of racism, that's why Helen is not the first leader of the Democratic Alliance to praise and to pray for colonialism and apartheid to come back. You remember Kola Barnett, where she prayed P.W. Porter that he must resurrect from the grave because apartheid, according to them, was better than a democratic South Africa. So what we see here is a party that continues to resist change, but it uses critical leaders like Maimani to mask the real character of a democratic alliance, which is white supremacy and privilege, but at the same time, it uses the black voters in order to retain its power as the white supremacist party. Now, part of the handling of this particular case by the DA, um, the outcome is that she has now been removed from all sort of decision-making positions that she holds, but she's still um, going to be the premier of the Western Cape. What are your thoughts around that? Is this enough punishment in your view? No, the point we make exactly, that it would have been difficult to remove her completely because she's a real leader. My mother is a caretaker. So you can't be a dweller and then there's a master. You decide to remove a master and you're the dweller at the same time. Because what she represents as a premier, she represents a party. Because premiers represent a political party. So that's why they are insincere and it's hypocritical to suggest that she has been removed in all party functions. To be a premier is to represent a party. There she's a structure. She represents the democratic alliance. But of course, they put the party first. What they did was to save Democratic Alliance from a party that was almost divided on the basis of race. My man is black, and uh, Helen Villa was going to take the entire traditional base, which is white. So that contradiction of racism and colonialism, and the fact that it is a foundation upon which Democratic Alliance is founded, it will still remain with a Democratic Alliance. Mm. What is becoming clear is that black voters are used, nothing else, are used in order to advance colonialism and racism. Do you believe that her tweets um, have set the country backwards in terms of uniting the nation, which we have seen is really uh, quite divided from a, a number of incidents um, who, which are racially you know, motivated in the past few months? In the press conference they had recently, you can see it was just a public relations exercise to have both of them. But you can see she's unrepentant, she's unmoved, she still believes in her tweets. That's why even today, when they held their press conference, it still justifies 
Because it's one thing to say, it is another to do something else. Of course, the under the leadership of the ANC, a step forward in terms of racial harmony and social cohesion in South Africa. There are elements, of course, like DA, like other parties, like like FFF Plus, that are founded on the basis of hatred and racism. And therefore, we will continue to make sure that we double our effort to build on social cohesion and non-racialism because there is no alternative to non-racialism in this country. But parties like DA, over time, they will continue to expose themselves of who they are. We don't think that it has regressed in terms of the achievement we have made because we continue South Africa to pull our efforts to build a non-racial South Africa and social cohesion. There is the spokesperson of the African National Congress, Zizi Godo, speaking to my colleague Zikona Miso earlier today. Now joining me on the line to talk more about this is a political analyst, Professor Dirk Gotte. Hello and welcome to Channel Africa, Professor Gotte. Good afternoon. Thank you very much. Now, there seems to be a lot of skepticism in some quarters about the sincerity of Helen Ziller's apology, with some saying that she still indirectly defended her views. How should we view this? Well, I think you are correct that there are different perceptions, um, and I think the main challenge of the DIS is how to manage these perceptions so that ultimately their message that they wanted to portray today that that goes through. Um, I, I think there's those who are sort of positively inclined towards Alan Zilla and they will to a large extent be relieved that this it has come to this end, which means that it's not going through a disciplinary hearing um, and that she continues as, as the Premier of the Western Cape province uh, while she's not going to continue in her capacity within the Democratic Alliance. On the other hand, there are many persons who are saying, well, this is actually a test case for the DA in terms of the new approach, the new character as a party that they want to develop, the new appeal that they want to, especially to the black voters in South Africa, that they want to develop. Um, and that in this case, uh, which was so important as a test case, that uh, they, they came to reach an, um, a compromise instead of taking a very firm position. And I think this is going to continue for quite some time, um, that there are serious differences of opinion of what actually was the or is the significance of what, what happened today. Um, I think what we are actually, in a sense, what we are definitely seeing is, is that Alan Zilla, if you just look at her, uh, the image of her today next to Musi Maimani, was that of a person with not the same sort of self-confidence and the same appeal almost uh, that she had in the past and uh, and the same sense of somewhat uh, almost arrogance. Um, it was, in her, I think from her point of view, certainly one of the lowest points in her political career. So I think the, the, what she was in the end uh, expected to do was a climb down for her because, as she indicated, her natural instinct is to fight back. And today was exactly the opposite. She had to concede that she made a major uh, political error uh, in judgment um, and that it affected many South Africans. And she, she had to com- say that you know that, that is something which she did not take into account initially. So from, I think from that perspective, um, there is some sincerity in what she did. Um, and I think also what Musi uh, Maimani, and she gave him credit mm-hmm. in the sense that she said that he's the one who really convinced her of this. Mm. 
Um, some have also criticised um, the Democratic Alliance and they've said that it seems to have double standards. Uh, for example, if you look at the way it dealt with Mbalinduli, the former youth leader, when she liked a Facebook post, um, she, they immediately announced that she would be going for a disciplinary hearing, um, whereas it took yeah. some time um, for it to get there with Helen Zilla. Uh, what, would you, what would your views be about that, about those views that there seem to be double standards on how the Democratic Alliance deals with um, a post that are posted by some of its leaders on social media? Yes, I, I think the procedure that was followed by the DA was problematic in the sense that she all, they always pride themselves that they are strong on procedure. And now even Ellen Zeller indicated that she feels that the procedural aspect wasn't fair towards her. Um, I think what uh, the, the fact that she is a premier and a former leader might, might have counted in in favor of her in terms of the approach that was followed, it was much more circumspect and it took much longer and it went through more processes. So in, in that sense, yes, uh, there is definitely the teacher, even if you compare it to the process that was followed with Diane Kula Barner um, and with some other members of the DA who were also found guilty for the way in which they dealt with this, the social media. Um, and then in the case of Helen Zilla, it was certainly much more circumspect than, than, than with them. I, I think what one, if you look at the total picture of those disciplinary cases that we, um, that we know of, we don't know of all of them, for example, at the level of the branches of the DA, that quite a number of them have actually been against so-called white members of the DA for the way in which they used the, the social media. So the social media and the, the, the problems with the social media is, is certainly a big issue now mm-hmm. in, in the DA and especially with, with what members of the DA and what leaders within the DA. Mm. Uh, would you say that there seems to be a conflict between the old DA, the older members of the Democratic Alliance, um, who come from the old guard, and the younger members of the um, Democratic Alliance, who seem to be to come from a, a different aspects of society? Yes, that that's for sure. Um, the DA, in my mind, is going through a transition process. I would say for the last at least two years, but maybe even a bit longer when. Uh, for example, in Dibi Masibuku became uh, the parliamentary leader of the DA. And what we are seeing now is a new generation of leaders that are being elected in the top positions within the DA. They come not only from the Western Cape, but predominantly from the Western Cape, but other parts of the country, uh, from KwaZulu-Natal, from Gauteng, uh, and even from other northern provinces. Um, it is obviously predominantly now black leaders. So in, in, in that sense, there is certainly a transition. Uh, also, the philosophy of, of the DA is changing from that of a critical opposition party with a sort of a liberal tradition. It is changing. It is now a government. It's now a party in government in quite a number of places. And even the philosophy, political philosophy, is moving more, in my mind, towards a sort of a social democratic welfare situation or, or approach, not only strictly a liberal one. So... All of that together is clearly an indication that the, that the DA is changing um, and many of the older members of the DA find it difficult to adapt to that.
Mm. Um, and now going back to Helen Zilla, she is still premier of the Western Cape province, even though she said that um, she will not participate in any of the structures of the Democratic Alliance. Um, will that be seen as to um, alleviate the two uh, centers of power that have been seen to exist in the past? Yes, if, to be quite too, uh, honest, I don't think she has today, for example, or before today, really any major official powers within the, the DA, she's not elected to any position. As the, as the premier of the Western Cape, she, she has a, a seat on the federal executive and the federal council, and I imagine that those are the, the positions that she's now giving up. But otherwise, she does not play a very prominent official role in the DA anymore. Her main role is that as, as premier. Um, so the decision that was taken today or announced today, I'm not exactly clear what are the practical implications of mm-hmm. in terms of the context in which he will, will function within the DA. Uh-huh. I imagine one of the things that, that will be different is, is that she won't speak in a capacity on behalf of the DA, even as a former leader. So in a sense, maybe from her point of view, she has to contain herself much more on Twitter and the social media on behalf of the DA. So she can not speak in that capacity anymore. Uh, you actually have, as you say, that um, you don't know what it means from a practical view. Um, what actually, maybe if you go back to that, um, do you think that um, in order for the Democratic Alliance to have been seen to be taking um, a, a stronger decision, do you think they should have spoken to her to perhaps um, remove herself from the premiership of the Western Cape? Well, that, that is the ultimate position, I think, that was, was considered. Um, I think what, 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 what we have seen today is to a large extent actually a compromise. Um, on the one hand is the symbolic standing down of Ellen Zeller by saying, you know, you cannot act anymore in any capacity within the DA. So they stopped very short of dismissing her as a member of the DA or suspending her membership of the DA because she still needs that in order to be the premier of the Western Cape. So that is on the one side, and I think the fact that she has had to apologize for any qualification, and I think using my money was very explicit about it, that there cannot be any qualification for, for that uh, apology from her side. But that was, was the one, I would say, more of a symbolic gesture, and then balancing that out by continuing with uh, as, as premier of the Western Cape in order to, in a sense, accommodate quite a lot of support that she still has, especially in the Western Cape. Mm. Um, you have mentioned um, during this interview that um, it, it's almost as if um, they dealt with Helen Zilla um, differently. Do you think that the Democratic Alliance has um, a scored own goals, if you will, in the way they've dealt with this? Yes, I've, I've come certain perspectives, certainly. Um, and uh, those who are critical, and for example, the ANC, you know, for them it's a golden opportunity to use this now in whatever context in the future. Um, and I think one one opportunity that was missed from Ellen Zilla's side is that she didn't, as part of her policy, also called on her own supporters in order to say, well, this is something all of us must accept. Um, so don't continue and complain and try to resist what has happened today, um, even if it is, for many people, not very substantial in nature. But from that point of view, to say, well, we have to stand together and uh, 
continue working within the DA as, as one body. And I think the fact that she didn't do that, in my view, is one step or one one action that could have taken her and the, the credibility that she has to now regain within the party might be one step further. Uh, Professor Terkotze, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Professor Terkot there is a political analyst joining us about the um, issues surrounding the Democratic Alliance and the standing down of Helen Zilla from all structures, really, of the Democratic Alliance. Now, an unknown number of people are missing following a collapse of a seven-story building in Nairobi on Monday night. Authorities say at least 128 people were safely evacuated from the building before it caved. Rescue efforts are underway at the scene of the incident. As desperate relatives wait for word on their loved ones, the building is said to have been up without a proper approvals and was earmarked for demolition by Nairobi city authorities. Sarah Kimani reports. In Nairobi's embassy area, military officers undertake a delicate rescue effort. Delicate because several people are still unaccounted for after a seven-story building caved in on Monday night. Pius Masai is coordinating the rescue efforts. Many people voluntarily evacuated safely and up to now uh, we have accounted to 128 people which are in the camp. But it's an unfortunate incident whereby you cannot know who is missing because it was a process where people were evacuating and the building collapsed. From a distance, desperate relatives follow every move 12 hours since the building caved in they are still hoping that out of the rubble, their loved ones will be pulled out alive, some too distraught to speak. When it became clear that the building was no longer safe, authorities ordered residents to evacuate. Dorothy Aoko, a fishmonger in the area, was not at home, but her children were in the ill-fated building. Four of them managed to escape. Two are still unaccounted for. I still cannot account for two of my children. My neighbor who lived on the fourth floor and had three children refused to come out of the house. I think they're still trapped under the rubble. This is not the first time a house has collapsed in this area. Landlords quick to make a quick kill, cut corners and put up such houses without proper approvals. Authorities say the house is among 40,000 such structures in Nairobi alone, putting thousands of lives at risk. Evans Kidero is the governor of Nairobi County. This building was never approved by the county government when it was built in the year 2007. Now, it was one of the buildings which was marked for uh, demolition, de- demolition, but because of issues of security, we hadn't gotten to the point where we were going to demolish it. As the day wears on and the operations continue, no sign of life yet. Only household items left behind in a rush to save lives. Sarah Kimani, Kenya. 17.30 Central African Time. Here's on LNCNC with your headlines. Zambia's parliament has suspended 48 opposition lawmakers who boycotted President Edgar Lungu's address to legislators in March to protest his contested electoral victory. An unknown number of people are still missing following the collapse of a seven-story building in Nairobi on Monday night. And Angola's ruling party has bowed to public criticism of a proposed law banning all abortions. Channel Africa News, I am Onelin Sinsi.
Thank you very much, Onele. Now, the National Union of Mine Workers, or NUM, has welcomed the resignation of the chairperson of the board of South Africa's parastatal ESCOM, Ben Ngobane. The NUM is further calling for the immediate resignation of four other remaining board members. The union says the members are a disgrace to both ESCOM and the government. The NUM has also called on the government to be decisive and come out clearly on the issue surrounding the reversal of closure of the five past stations as pronounced by former CEO Brian Malife on his short return to ESCOM before his reappointment was rescinded. To talk to us more about this, we are joined on the line by spokesperson at NUM, Libuani Mamburu. Hello and welcome to Channel Africa, uh, Libuani. Good evening, Now, Libuani, is this a good thing that Dr. Ngobane has resigned according to you? Can you repeat that? Uh, do you think it's a good thing that uh, Ben Gubane has resigned? Yes, it is. It is a good thing. That's why we welcome it as the National Union of Mine Workers. Um, we, we will tell why the reasons why we say that it's good. Uh, remember the state capture that was released uh, by the former public protector. Yes. There were allegations levelled against ESCOM and some individuals within ESCOM. And that's, that's the first point. The second point is the decision that was taken by ESCOM board to close down five power stations. And our members are happy, are not happy because it is going to lead to massive uh, retrenchments. The third point is Machela Koko, one billion uh, nepotism deal. It happened under ESCOM board uh, watch. And uh, the last one is the rehire and reinstatement of, of, of Brian Mulif. So we feel that uh, this uh, board um, uh, uh, must resign and, uh, as soon as possible. Mm. Um, you also then saying that other members of the board should also resign. Why is this? No, they, they were part of those decisions that I mentioned to you. They, it, all those uh, issues that I've mentioned just now happen under their watch. So we don't see the reason why they should remain there. Mm-hmm. Um, the timing of the resignation. Um, do you think? Do you not think that the um, it's a bit suspicious? Of course, there is, it is suspicious. As you know, there are letters that have been published that have been circulating around uh, in the media, um, and, and uh, I think uh, you're right. It, it, it is suspicious. Mm. Um, and your views on that, sir? Now, what we can tell, uh, uh, say about the letters and uh, that have been published in the media, and uh, we, 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 we think that it is a high time that uh, the Judicial Commission of Inquiry must be set up by the President to investigate all these allegations so that the, um, the, the chapter can be closed. Um, if these allegations are still there, um, um, there's nothing that is going to um, uh, stop. Um, on uh, his resignation and your call that um, everyone else who is part of the board should resign, are you not worried that this could destabilize the state-owned enterprise here? We have been worried. The, the chop and changing of, of CEOs, there has been instability of, of leadership at ESCOM. What we want as stakeholders who represent ESCOM employees is that we want stability at, at, at ESCOM. We want men and women with integrity to take care of, um, of, of the well-being of employees, um, government, and, and the public as a whole. 
So um, at the moment, we don't see those men and women of integrity at, at that ESCOM board. All right, let's go to a different issue now. There's um, the pending closure of five power stations um, that was reversed by Brian Mulefe when he returned briefly as CEO. Um, you are saying that you want ESCOM to be very clear on this. Um, do you believe that um, this reversal won't happen now that Brian Mulefe is gone? You know, sure, because when he came back uh, after his reinstatement, he said that um, that decision is going to be suspended temporarily. So what our members are seeing on the ground is that uh, the government must reverse this decision uh, completely. It must not be suspended because, like I said, that is going to lead to massive repressions in places like in Rina, Green, and, and other parts of uh, Mpumalanga province. All right, sure. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much. That is Libuani Mamburu, spokesperson at South Africa's National Union of Mine Workers. Your time is 17.36 Central African Time, right here on Africa Digest with Ms. Pomela Lezondi. Remember that if you want to participate in any of the conversations that we are having here, you can find us on Twitter. We are on Channel Africa One, or you can send us emails. That is info at channelafrica.co.za, info at channelafrica.co.za. Hello and welcome to Channel Africa, the African Perspective. We broadcast from Johannesburg in South Africa and our main aim is to provide you with news, views, knowledge and entertainment from Africa to Africans and listeners from around the world. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Diana Wanyonye in Mombasa. For Channel Africa, I am Kumbara Munjarere in Johannesburg. Channel Africa, Kinshasa. Crime fighting capability at sea. So what Gogen will do is to develop joint planning, coordination, communication, and IT infrastructure among national and regional officials and institutions in the area. Well, that's what it's supposed to do. Now, the long-term aim of this, of course, is, is to support peace, stability, and economic and human development throughout West and Central Africa. And I would add that this program is important, obviously, for the coastal countries, but it's also important for the countries that do not have direct access to sea, the hinterland, so to speak, because uh, security at sea is important obviously for international trade and you know countries that are landlocked you know profit from trade as well so it is important for all of africa what would you say is the situation in the area when it comes to issues of robberies piracy and uh, other illicit maritime activities in the area of western central africa there are many threats in the area there's obviously piracy and armed robbery but there's also trafficking and human beings and drugs you know timber arms waste and there's also illegal or unregulated fishing going on as well and and this presents a huge cost for the economies and the societies of of the area and the lack of security is really a mortgages the future of local coastal communities and yeah i would say the well-being of the population at large as well how is this going to be coordinated with regards to 
being effective in dealing with uh, some of the issues of piracy, armed robbery, illicit maritime activities in the region? The aim of Gogan is to build capacity, is to train people, is to ensure that the, you know, whatever entities you have, you know, maritime security centers in the area, that they actually work together across borders. You know, the Gogan will not itself, you know, fight piracy. That's not the purpose. The purpose is to help ensure that the countries in the area work together. And, the, you know, this is an expression of the so-called the Yaoundé architecture or the Yaoundé process. This was the code of conduct that was adopted at the Summit of Heads of State in June 2013 in Yaoundé. And they agree there to work together on a regional and an inter-regional fashion. This is not a pyramid. Don't look at it as a pyramid, but look at it as a process by which security centers at the local, national, regional, and you know, super-regional level all work together and share information. And more importantly as well is that they all share a common culture in terms of maritime security. How is it going to address issues of or assist in addressing issues of illegal fishing and oil theft? Well, there are all sorts of issues that relate where, you, you know, action is needed. You need to work on, you know, common processes, common language, common procedures. At the legal level, but from a legal perspective, that you can actually pursue people who are doing illegal things. If there are no laws, then you can't go after the criminals. That's an important aspect as well. You need the infrastructure so that you know everybody can work together. This is a huge area. It's a very, very large area, thousands of kilometers. These centers need to be able to talk to each other and share information on a real-time basis. So we need to you know create the infrastructure for that. The infrastructure is still going to be created. It's not yet in place as we're talking now. Some of it is, and you know we're identifying the gaps right now. And we're identifying the gaps and figuring out what are the better systems that we can put into place. What is required? Is it software? Is it hardware? Is it internet access? Is it, it could be something as mundane as ensuring that the electrical system in a security center is properly grounded so that the computers are protected against surcharge and they don't blow up. So we're looking at all of that right now. What would you say prior to this being implemented as it is that it has gone into effect with immediate effect, but now what do you find to be the current situation? Well, the current situation with the program, the the, the program exists. You know, it's in place. It has started. There was a kickoff event in Yaoundé in Cameroon last week. We've been doing some exercises already, and now we're, you know, formally, you know, getting being active. This is a four-year program, so there's still quite a, quite a lot of work to be done. It follows up on an, a previous program also funded by the EU called Primgo which look more at, you know, training, conduct a common training exercises. This is the next step. This is more looking at the infrastructure, I would say the human and the physical infrastructure, so that you know, all these countries can actually be working together. Now, how long will be the training be taking place? There will be multiple trainings. That, all that. So we're looking at, you know, several trainings every quarter. So you can say at least half a dozen trainings per year. But there's also seminars that are being conducted with maritime universities in the area. So there's a lot of training that's happening. You also have exercises at sea, desktop exercises. You know, all of that is being worked out, developing specific courses. 
All that is being worked out as we speak. How is it going to be able to solve the issue of youth unemployment? Yeah, well, that, I mean, that's, that's a bit of a stretch, I would say. That's, you know, uh, I think this is, we're looking at, you know, security at sea. So we're looking at, you know, reducing crime at sea. That is, you know, a good thing for economic development. It's a good thing for the coastal communities. You know, if we, if this long-term manages to reduce pollution, this is good for the fishing people. So the consequences will be positive, but this could take some time. That is Martin Duboy, Communications Director of the Gulf of Guinea Interregional Network, on the line from Brussels in Belgium, and he was talking to Wandile Kalipa, 17.45 Central African Time. It's time for Economic News Now. Global Ratings Agency Moody's has downgraded five of South Africa's largest banks and four insurers with a negative outlook. This comes after the country's credit ratings was downgraded last week. Moody's said the main reason for the downgrade was weakening credit and macro profile of government exerting pressure on banks in what it says was a challenging operating environment characterized by a pronounced economic slowdown. Marisa Simos reports. The long-term local and foreign currency deposit ratings of Standard Bank, First Rand, Absa Bank, Ned Bank and Investec Bank were downgraded to BAA3 yesterday, one notch above non-investment grade. Moody's also downgraded Standard Bank's long-term local and foreign currency issuer ratings to BA1 from BAA3. The agency downgraded other South African banks to one notch above sub-investment grade, including the Development Bank of Southern Africa, the Industrial Development Corporation and the Land and Agricultural Development Bank. Old Mutual Life Assurance Company and MMI Group were lowered to BAA2 from BAA1, while Guard Risk and Standard Insurance dropped to BAA3 from BAA2. Marisa Samos, SABC News, Johannesburg. Consumer goods companies are meanwhile facing harsh trading conditions as more South Africans remain under increasing financial pressure to afford consumables. A report released by Anston Young shows that a number of consumer goods are becoming increasingly out of reach for citizens as high interest rates and unemployment bite into the economy. This especially for low-income earners whose disposable income is extremely squeezed. The report analyzed 13 listed consumer goods companies with a collective annual revenue of 14 billion US dollars. The companies include uh, Oceana, Distel, Tiger Brands, Rhodes Foods and Clover amongst others. Australian miner Kimberley Diamonds has closed its last remaining operation in Botswana, Lerala Mine and placed the subsidiary responsible for the project into administration due to delays in sourcing the funding required to continue its work. It has earlier stopped the day-to-day operations at Lerala pending a renovation of the mine's diamond processing plant. Kimberley says the mine had been in the process of implementing a performance improvement plan which endeavoured to address the key issues affecting the plant. Farmers along Bite Bridge, port of entry in South Africa's Limpopo province, say the ban on poultry products from Zimbabwe won't stop illegally border, illegal border jumpers from smuggling in poultry 
poultry along their farms through the porous border. South African government has announced that uh, due to an outbreak of bird flu in Zimbabwe, they're suspending the import of all poultry products from their neighboring country. Isaac Nell of Marui Farms along the Limpopo River says government should first fix the fence in order to enhance the control of people along the border. You know, controlling of disease on this border fence is, is for the past 10 years not been existent. I don't think it can be controlled. Um, there is no control over our border fence at all. Whether it's people or goods uh, smuggled both ways, it's uncontrollable. And uh, the military can't do that much because they don't even have a, a barrier to help them. The fence was cut whatever. There's parts of the river there where there's absolutely no fence. It's, there's nothing. And around here there's no control of people crossing. It's, a, it's daily people cross and they, I don't even think they get arrested anymore. Financial indicators, the dollar trading at uh, 12.85 South African rands at 10.5 Botswana Pula and 9.15 Zambian Kwacha also at uh, 0.78 to the British pound and 0.89 against the euro. The commodities market, uh, gold $1,206, platinum $941 per fine ounce, Brent crude oil has gone down to $48.45 per barrel. And that's your economics news for now. Thank you, Sunny. It is now time for your sports news. Good evening, sports fans. I am Osibu Dimakura with your latest sports news at the Sawam. And starting off with cricket news, the Proteas have rested a number of their star players for the upcoming three-match T20 series against England following the disappointment of their RCC Champions Trophy exit. On Sunday, South Africa must now regroup for three T20s against England, the first of which will take place on the 21st of June. Now, Abby de Villiers will lead the side in the absence of of regular captain Favre Duplessis, who has been given a break for the series. Cricket South Africa has opted to let a number of players who are regularly involved in all three formats of the game to rest for the series. Duplessis, along with Kahi Sorabada, Hashim Amla, Quinton de Kock, as well as JP Dumini, will return home for a break before the Test Series. Meanwhile, England have also named a watered-down squad for the series. The first of four Test matches gets underway at Lords on the 6th of July. On to athletics news. The national athletics trials are underway at the Nara National Stadium in Nairobi, Kenya. The trials conclude on Wednesday and will enable Athletics Kenya to select the International Association of Athletics Federation's World Under-18 team. Now, the trial meant for youth aged 16 and 17 years old will see the first two finishers acquire the privilege of flying the national flag during the World Under-18 championships that are due to run from the 12th to the 16th of July at the Safaricom Stadium Kasarani in Nairobi. 
Meanwhile, back at home, Kesa Molezane is currently leading the Spa Grand Prix series with 78 points, this after finishing in second position and the third leg of the series in Durban this past weekend. Molezane, who finished in third position in the opening leg of the series in Cape Town and then went on to win the Port Elizabeth race, says she didn't expect to be doing so well in her debut season. I really didn't uh, think I'd be doing this well in the Grand Prix because I, I've never really been part of it before, like say maybe last year or so. So it was actually my debut this year and um, I, I'm just uh, dedicating this whole season to my, my family, my mom, my, my coach who's worked so hard to get me up to uh, this standard. And um, I, I'm, I'm really happy. I'm, this is the only way I can actually say thank you to them. So yes, I'm working towards um, the end of the season in that position. I'm really working so hard to keep it uh, until you know the very end. On to netball news, Noma Plummer, head coach of South Africa's national netball team, has announced a team that will go into camp on the 16th of July. Plummer says uh, out of the 26 players, she hopes to get a strong team of 12 players who will represent South Africa in the upcoming international tournaments as well as next year's Commonwealth Games in Australia that we wanted to pick the best possible squad to go forward to play in the end of the quad series and um, going forward two test matches against Fiji, a diamond series and again the quad series in January, February 2018 plus the Commonwealth Games. So the squad that we've selected is a squad of 26 and we, we hopefully will get out of that a very strong um, 12 players after the next camp, which starts in July 16. And finally, in tennis news, Roger Federer will begin his grass court campaign and bid for an eighth Wimbledon crown at Stuttgart on Wednesday, insisting that uh, he's rested enough. Now, the Swiss veteran has taken the last two months off after what he described as a surprisingly successful start to the year that resulted in victory at the Australian Open and then the Indian Wales-Miami Masters double. Federer has been in fine form during his limited activity this year, only losing once. Well, the Zion Sports News at the Sound. Stay tuned to Channel Africa for more news from an African perspective. This is Africa Digest. Seventeen fifty-six Central African time. Let's recap our top stories. Zambian opposition leader reportedly jailed under inhumane conditions. South Africa's official opposition party battles internal strife. 
and that wraps up Africa Digest for this hour. From myself, Spumelele, Zondi producer, Luanda Mahomet, technical producer, Revelino Ibrahim, and the rest of the team, thank you very much for listening. Send us emails, info at channelafrica.co.za on SMS plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. Tweet us on Channel Africa One. We leave you with Utando by Kilikumalo. Thank you.